If you guys have your Bibles, um, let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Second uh, Peter chapter 1. Uh, for those taking notes, there's six things we want to look at by way of introduction or background tonight. And uh, very, very simple stuff. But number one, uh, who, who wrote the book? Yes, it was Peter, right? Uh, it's pretty obvious if you guys... Uh, if you guys read right here, look, let's just get started. Look at verse 1. Simon Peter. All right. So uh, Simon is his birth name, means hearkening. So Simon Bar-Jonah, right, or Simon Peter. Um, we know him by his given name, which is Peter from the Greek, Petros, and which literally means little rock or little pebble. And the Aramaic equivalent to that is Cephas. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, oftentimes it's referred to as Cephas. And so this specific name, Peter, is given to him uh, back in John chapter 1 verses 42 uh, by Jesus himself when he changed his name from Simon to uh, to Cephas, which is Peter, or a little rock, right? So, all right, you guys ready for this? All right, that was a little introduction, all right. Um, but it, it becomes interesting, though, because I looked at Matthew chapter 16, uh, verse 13, and, and you guys remember when Jesus is with the apostles back on um, the base of Mount Hermon, there uh, in Caesarea Philippi, uh, area in Matthew chapter 16 verse 13 uh, it says when Jesus came into that region of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples saying who do men say that I the son of man am and so they said some, some say John the Baptist some Elijah and others Jeremiah uh, and or one of the prophets and he said to them but who do you say that I am and then it was Simon Peter who spoke up. I think he could have been at the end of the crowd, right? At the end of the, of all the disciples. And he's always the first one to speak. So here's Mr. Peter. And, and he says in verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so, wow, Peter made that declaration that Jesus Christ is, uh, the Messiah. And so, and then Matthew, uh, 16 verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, right? So small stone or uh, small pebble. And, and then on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, get the setting, right? Caesarea Philippi, I hear, has this giant rock, and, and on top of this giant rock is a whole bunch of little pebble rocks, right? And so, on this rock, well, obviously, when Jesus is saying that, he's speaking of the pre- preeminence of, of, uh, of the church, right? But most importantly, upon the confession of uh, Peter's, uh, well, Peter's confession here of, of his faith that he has in Jesus Christ, that he is the Messiah. But it's interesting that he changed his name back in John chapter 1 but to use it as an illustration back in Matthew verse uh, chapter 16. Uh, so very, very interesting stuff. Um, so I want to give you guys five things about this Peter before we continue on. Uh, first of all, if you guys are taking notes, I left a few... Um, notes outline notes out there if you guys are note takers um 
And number one, Peter was a fisherman. He was a fisherman. Back in Matthew chapter 4 and in Luke chapter 5, Peter and his brother Andrew, what are they doing? They're fishing. That's what they do. That's what he grew up doing. That's what he's good at, right? They're, they're out there in the Sea of Galilee and they're catching fish. And the second thing we learn about Peter is that, well, he had a wife. A lot of people don't realize that, that he had a wife. When I, when I go to the streets and I'm talking to, you know, trying to give the gospel and, and the people that I talk to are Catholic, and I'm like, did you even know Peter had a wife? And they're like, oh, no, he didn't, right? Because they think Peter was the first pope and popes don't get married. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. But anyways, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5, Paul is he's speaking to the church at Corinth and he asks them a question and he says, do we have no right to take along a believing wife? as do also the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas, he he names Cephas specifically. So obviously Cephas, Peter, had a wife. Uh, and so Peter points him out specifically here. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, verse 38, uh, now he arose from the synagogue and he went to Simon's house. This is Peter. And and uh, Peter's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and and then it goes on. But clearly, Simon Peter was married. And and funny, uh, I just think it's hilarious how how people you know they're like Peter wasn't married. They're apostles. Apostles can't get married, right? What? Not what my Bible says. Um, I love being married, right? There's my wife back there. Um, anyways. Third thing is Peter was a pillar in the church. He was a pillar in the church. Look at Galatians 2.9. I got it up here for you guys. Um, and when James, Cephas, and John, who seem to be pillars, right? And then and it goes on to say uh, more about in the context there. But they were perceived as pillars of the church. These were the top dog pastors, basically, of Jerusalem. And, and obviously, this is the first century church um, that they were in. So very interesting. Peter also was a servant. Um, and and uh, look at Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1 uh, again. It says, Simon Peter, a bondservant, right? We'll stop right there. So Simon Peter, he's a bondservant. Did you guys see that? Today we might think of a servant as, I don't know, someone who washes your car or washes your feet or I don't know. I don't even know what to think of when I think of a servant these days, because I do all, I take out the garbage and all that, right? So, but the word here in the Greek is doulos, right? Mentioned 127 times in the New Testament. And our English word is, it's where we get our English word bond servants. And, and, uh, so after a slave, you know, would, would, uh, you know, give up their time or their payment, whatever it was that they were a slave for. And let's say they were married into the family of their master and, and they had their wife there, or their children there. They grew up there for 10 years and, and they're still under slavery, but you're a slave and you're free to go now. But let's say you love your master and you're like, no, I don't want to go. I, I will choose to serve you for free now. And so what the master would do is he would grab he would he'd basically take your ear, right? All right, come here. <laughs> put you to the door, grab an awl, and put put a put a hole right into your ear, which symbolized that you're your master's. Uh, you're you're freely. You're your master's now, and and you're no longer your own, or you're no longer a slave, but you're a bond slave. 
so you're freely serving your master because you want to be with your master. Your whole purpose in life is to please your master. Now, a servant doesn't even have rights. You don't even have uh, property of your own. You don't have you don't have a lot of stuff of your own. Um, but your main purpose is to please your master. And Peter's whole purpose and my whole purpose is to please Jesus Christ, right? And, and I'm pretty sure your purpose as well. Um, and so to be a bond servant of Jesus Christ, right? And and coming to a place that's that's basically what it is. You're coming to a place in your life where you just say, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done, right? That's what the Lord, you're, you recognize that he is Lord. And and uh, you give it to the Lord. And so thus, we are bond servants. We're bond slaves of the Lord, in a sense. We're freely offering our service onto the Lord, and and uh, so the fifth thing about Peter is, well, he's an apostle, an apostle. Notice there in verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, so he's not just a standalone apostle, but notice this Peter is an apostle of who? Jesus Christ, that's right. So uh, an apostle, the apostolos, right, in the Greek, used 81 times in the New Testament, simply means a messenger or a sent out one. And Peter specifically was sent out. He was commissioned by Jesus Christ himself. This is, wow, that's quite an impressive resume, right? (laughs) Imagine, that's pretty awesome. Um, But apostles were commissioned by Jesus himself. So today, we don't have Jesus, he's not in the flesh commissioning people. So we don't have apostles uh, today. We have disciples, right? We're to make disciples of each other. But uh, in, in, in a sense, we are sent out, right, as messengers. So in a sense, we have that uh, characteristic, but we're, we're not nowhere near the original apostle title uh, because P- Jesus didn't send us out. So Peter's one of those 12 apostles uh, of the apostles. In fact, I'll give you guys a little fun fact for you. A little, here's a little break breather. Did you guys know in the Bible that they, it gives four lists of apostles? And, and get ready for this. You guys holding on to your seats? You guys sitting down? You ready? Here we go. Guess what? Out of all four of the list in the Bible, guess who's labeled as the first apostle out of all of them? Yeah, it's our guy Peter. Peter is the, he's mentioned first. This is the open mouth, quick to speak Peter. And, and he's the ready, aim, fire, go guy, right? And, and, and Jesus, you know, he would ask a question and all of us, all the disciples, they would just look at Peter, right? Have you guys ever hung out with somebody that just spoke first? And, and so you don't even bother asking anymore. In the beginning, you were like, oh, I, uh, uh, oh. Got it. Oh, oh, right? They always just beat you too. So now you just give up and you just, so that's how I picture the, all of the, the disciples there. They're just like, they look over at Peter and he's the first one to speak, right? And they're like, go ahead, Peter, take it away. But why would God place Peter, number one, on the list in the Bible for all of us to see forever. He, he for sure, he wasn't perfect, right? Uh, this is Peter who cut off Malchus's ear. You guys remember there in the garden? He, he looks at the soldier and he's like, eh, nah, 
He looks at the high priest, nah. And then there's the guy holding something for the high priest, right? The servant. And he's like, aha! <laughs> Probably goes for his head, but he ends up hitting his ear off. And Jesus rebukes him. And, and uh, in fact, it's a funny, interesting thing. Uh, then in Mark chapter 14, verse 51... There's a young man that fled. A random, why does the account of Mark give us this account? It doesn't say Peter ran, but it says all of a sudden some guy ran, and, and he ran naked. But look, notice, and now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body, and the young men laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. What is this? I personally think it's in the context of Peter Slicing the guy's ear off, getting rebuked by the Lord. And then I think, right, just here's a thought, it's just my thought, is they're going to grab him and arrest him. I mean, what, what, what people, what soldiers, right, what police would just see a crime right before them and not arrest him? And, and obviously he was healed, so I don't know, maybe they didn't arrest him, but, but maybe they went for him, grabbed his garment, and then, he ran naked, right? And they're like, you go get him. I'm going to go get him. He's naked. You get him. I'm just let him go, right? And then why was Peter trying to warm himself up, you know? They're in the court. I don't know. Just saying. Just interesting. And this was Peter in John uh, 21, verse 7. You guys remember he's on the boat, and John's like, that's Jesus, right? Because he's all, cast your net over to the, the right? And they catch all the fish, and he sees Jesus out there. What does he do? He puts on his coat because he had his underwear on, right? And then he jumps into the water. Why does it tell us that he put on his coat? Like, was this a guy who had his coat off and on? And how come it never says any of that other stuff about the other disciples? I don't know. Just a thought. I don't know. You guys could do what you want with that. But, so this is the same Peter, like I said, back in the courtyard, right? He denied Jesus three times. And it's also the Peter who lacked faith in Jesus. You guys remember he is a result what happened? He sunk, right? Right? And and then so Peter was not perfect, but Peter was used mightily by the Lord. And and understand that God is not looking for perfect people. Amen, church. Amen. Amen to that. When I pray to the Lord, I'm like, Lord, help, right? Um, but God is looking for willing people. And I think we got to be having the attitude, just like Isaiah. You guys remember Isaiah said in, in Isaiah 6, 8, says, he says, here I am, send me, right? And I think we got to have that same attitude of, Lord, I'll go, I'll, I'll go. Hey, you can look both everywhere and who's going to go for me? I'll, I'll go. Uh, that's the heart and attitude that we are, we ought, ought to have. Um, fifth thing is, you know, when you humble yourself, uh, you realize that you have nothing, right? We, and that's, that's really what you're doing. You realize you're not perfect and you need help. You've got to humble yourself. And, and you got nothing, you have nothing, and you have nothing to offer God. And when you think you have something to offer God, it's disgusting onto the, the Lord. The, what the Lord wants in you is... Uh, what is it? First John 5, 5 talks about that we are overcomers because of his blood. Because of what he did on the cross, that's what he's satisfied in. He's not satisfied in your works and your perfection and your degrees and your whoever you are. He's satisfied in, him, in himself through you and in you. He wants to do work in us. And so, uh, it's almost like the hymn, um, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. 
While I am waiting, yielded and still. You guys should be happy that I didn't sing that for you, okay? I don't have that gift like Mr. Eric up here. Um, but let's come to the second thing in our introduction to Second Peter. So what is the key theme to this book of Second Peter? And I noticed reading through the main topic is the knowledge of the Lord. The knowledge of the Lord. And it's very interesting because uh, if you got your Bibles open to Second Peter, look at verse 2 of chapter 1. It says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in what? The knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Look at verse 8. Skip down to verse 8. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful. In what? In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 2, verse 20. It says... For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge, there it is, of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this theme seems to be throughout the whole book of Second Peter, as you read through it, is the knowledge of the Lord. And that word knowledge... It's used 21 times in the New Testament. Uh, 16 of those times, it's used here in 2 Peter alone. So it's a compound word. Uh, epi, meaning upon, and gnosis, meaning to know. So to know carries the idea of uh, a close, intimate knowledge by experience, right? So to fully perceive, to fully comprehend and understand as it pertains to, well, understanding the Lord. So Peter is encouraging us to know or to desire the Lord, right? That's so cool. And from Peter's experience, I think that it involves I think it involves the day of the Lord. I think what he's trying to say here is that knowledge, knowledge of what? Just knowledge in general of God? Well, I think he's trying to say the knowledge specifically pertaining to the day of the Lord. Because look at chapter 3, look at verse 10. It says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And then look at verse 12 of chapter 3. It says, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. The day of God, right? Look at chapter 3, verse 3. It says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come when? In the last days. This is the same text here. Look at chapter 1, verse 16. It says, for we did not follow cunning device fables when we made known to you the power and what? coming of our Lord and Jesus Christ. So very, very interesting. Uh, Peter wants us to have that knowledge of the Lord regarding the day of the Lord or the last days or uh, end times, if you will. So Second Peter is all about the knowledge of the Lord as it pertains to the specific day of the Lord. And, and understand that the day of the Lord, by the way, is not a specific 24-hour day. It's a period of time. Um, um, so beginning at the day of Pentecost, there in Acts chapter 2, all the way to the end of the tribulation time. So 
the day of the Lord, the end times, the last day, or whatever you want to call it. But in Acts chapter 2, at the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit, you guys remember he came upon the 120 there in the upper room. Um, they began speaking in known languages of the people of their day at that time. And so, in fact, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Um, I'll show you guys this really quick. Da, 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 da. Acts chapter 2, go to verse 14. I'll just start reading and you can catch up. It says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judah, right, because they're all speaking in tongues and they're they're filled with the Holy Spirit there and the people are looking at them like, Whoa, what's going on? And he says, Men of Judah, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, Peter, or he says, For these are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in when the last days. This is what we're referring to right here. Says God that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Um, so older men, if you're seeing visions, um, you're, you're probably young still, right? So that's good. Um, and on my maid servants and on my, my uh, or my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those those days. Speaking of the last days, right? And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Peter quotes from the book of Joel, uh, chapter 2, which deals with the last days, the end times, the day of the Lord, right? And this moment there in the upper room was, I guess you can say, the, the birth of the upper, ch- uh, or the upper church, <laughs> the birth of the church there in that upper room. So we have been living in the last days for about 2,000 years now-ish, right? I, I didn't really do the math there, but this period of time will continue on through the church age, which we're in right now, right? This is the church age, and until the great, the end of the Great Tribulation time. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 58, we have something happening here called the rapture of the church. We're going to be taken out of here, right? We're boom, we're out. According to Romans chapter 11, verse 25, it says at the end... Uh, Actually, I'll just read the whole thing. For I do not desire, Paul says, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So we would say until the last person who ought to be saved gets saved, right? So if you're that person, right? <laughs> you better hurry up and get saved. Anyways, so once this happens, right, according to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, speaking uh, about the restraining force which is removed, right, the Holy Spirit which, which is in the church is removed, uh, this now allows the Antichrist to do his thing, right? He's going to start, he's going to take, waste no time. He's going to take action and just go at it. And he's called the son of perdition. He's called the, the man of sin, according to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. And he comes on on the scene 
And, and we call this the 70th week of Daniel, right? Um, and it's outlined in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, and also called Jeremiah's, or I'm sorry, Jacob's trouble, which is in Jeremiah uh, chapter 30, verse 7. Uh, we call it the tribulation time, or the great tribulation time is referred more so towards the last three and a half years of the great tribulation time. So the Antichrist, he confirms a treaty with many, uh, according to Daniel 9.27. And people think at this point is when... Uh, he begins the, the 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 construction of the new temple, and I don't know. Is that the time? I don't know. Is is this the time right now? Right? It just seems like so much is going on right now with every all the uh, embassies coming into Jerusalem. Now they have the right. Right? There's just so much stuff going on where uh, I believe personally that it's it's our generation. It's our time. We're going to see all this stuff. Actually, we're out of here. We're going to see Jesus, right? So, um, but this temple will be rebuilt, right? The Jews are going to worship again in this temple, um, and well. Of course, they don't have, you know, the, the ashes for the red heifer. They don't have the fire. There's a bunch of problems I see where I'm like, uh. <laughs> uh but anyways, in the middle of the seven-year period, according to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, the Antichrist is going to do the unthinkable, right? He's going to do what we call the abomination of desolation. So you got the church age right here, right? And we're, I don't know, right here. And then the rapture happens, I don't know, right here, right? So, and then, and then, uh, the tribulation time, you got the seven years, but you got the three and a half years. And in the three and a half years, the Antichrist comes into the, the temple of the, the Jews there and he declares himself as God and he demands worship from everybody. And, and at this point, God just says, uh-uh, enough's enough. And at that moment, God begins to pour out what we have in Revelation, from Revelation chapter 6 to 19. The bowls, the seals, the, the, um, uh, the trumpets are sounded, right? The judgments. So, are happening here on earth. And so there's a lot going on. And, and, uh, Daniel the prophet talks about that time. Jesus refers to it in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. And so when, he comes in, he sets himself up, but at the end of the tribulation, right, Jesus is going to be coming back to the earth, and according to Revelation 19, 16, uh, when he, he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he comes on a white horse with the armies of heaven, right, in verse 14, and that's you and me, according to Jude, I'm sorry, Jude, Chapter 1, verse 14. Um, and it says, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. So at this point, we are already in heaven. Uh, people are like, I don't see the rapture in the Bible, right? Look at Revelation alone. You got, well, chapter 2 and 3, really, but chapter 1 through 5, you got the churches there, and then all of a sudden the church is gone, right? And then you got chapter 6 all the way to 19. Boom, it's all tribulation time. If If we serve a God of order... And he specifically gave us a Bible, right, in order from beginning to end. In Revelation 1.16, what is he? The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end. He knows the beginning, he knows the end. Why would he give us Genesis and uh, Revelation to be the end? And why in Revelation would he give us the beginning talking about the church? And then in the middle, he's talking about the tribulation time. And then he he gave us everything specifically in order. So if you're questioning, I don't know if Jesus could actually come back, you know, 
know, it's, uh, you're, you're doing it to yourself. You're going to struggle with a lot of stuff. But if you have that urgency within you, it's going to get you on your feet, right? It's going to give you uh, that what you need to give the gospel, right, without hesitation. So anyways, um, so this begins the thousand-year rule and reign of Christ. Uh, obviously, there's lots of details that go into everything. I'm just generalizing it for you guys here. But... Um, so Jesus is going to be ruling and reigning on earth. You and I will be ruling and reigning on earth, by the way. We're not, we're going to be ruling, uh, and judging angels. And, and we're going to be ruling, uh, with a rod of iron, by the way. So for those of you control freaks, this is your time, right? <laughs> Here you go. So Peter wants us to have a knowledge of the end time events, right? And so number three, let's come to the third matter. Where was this book written? Um, turn with me to Second Peter. Second Peter, go to chapter three. Um, it says in verse one, "Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle." So clearly, this is the second epistle, right? And if Peter wrote this in the same place, he wrote it in the same place from First Peter. Then turn with me to First Peter, chapter one. Uh, if this is the case, since it's the second epistle, right? So obviously this would be the first epistle. Uh, and if that's the case, First Peter, in fact, go to chapter 5. Look at verse 13. It says, She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. So uh, he's in Babylon, or so he's, he, he says Babylon. So people are not sure which Babylon Peter is referring to here. You know, is it the Babylon on the Euphrates there in modern-day Iraq area? Maybe not. Is it Babylon near the Nile in, in uh, Egypt? Uh, maybe not. Is it, uh, is it code word for Rome? I don't Possibly. Is it down there near the today's modern Dubai area? I don't know. Right? So it's interesting. Nobody really knows. Not, not, not sure. Uh, but the fourth question, when was this book written? Uh, most scholars think it's between 66 to 67 AD. That's about three years later after the first letter of 1 Peter was written. Uh, 2 Peter now is, is sent out. And, and so if you guys look at 2 Peter, go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter 1, look at verse 13. It says, Peter says, yes, and I think it is right as long as I am in this tent, speaking of his body, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So Peter was presumably at the end of his life. And so we do know that he was crucified upside down in 68 AD. And so, uh, very, very interesting. So when was it? Around that time. Um, fifth question we, we want to look at is, how is this book divided? I don't know, but I divided it. Uh, it's outlined in three sections, and basically by each chapter. And Peter deals with knowing the Lord in the context of the last days. And so chapter one is a reminder for the church and it's about the knowledge of the power of God. And chapter 2 is a warning to the church about the knowledge about 
false teachers. And chapter 3 is about the hope of the church and, and the knowledge of the return of Christ. So, awesome book. I don't know how many times I've read it. Um, it's only three chapters, so it's pretty simple. But uh, you can read it over and over and over, and I keep getting new stuff every time I read it, where I'm like, wow, how did I not see that? That's pretty amazing. So the sixth and final question uh, that I want to go over tonight is, to whom was this letter written to? And if you guys look at chapter 3 of Second Peter, uh, chapter 3, Look at verse 1. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle. So the same people who received the first letter, they get the second letter as well. Right? So um, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 again. You guys like this? You gotta, you're going to be using these pages here. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, uh, Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for uh, the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. So there's four things that we can learn from from these people who received this second letter, this first letter uh, from Peter. Um, and notice, number one, they are, according to verse one here in First Peter 1, they are pilgrims. They're pilgrims. Pilgrims, that word pilgrim, it means a wanderer, wanderer, a sojourner, right? A traveler. And, and get the picture, they're suffering during this time. They're being persecuted by Nero. And, and they're, they're like, man, I'm not gonna stay here in Rome and get persecuted and, and die, right? And get burnt to the stake. I'm out of here. And so they took off. They scattered, if you will. And understand, you, you, Peter reminds them, hey, you guys are just passing through. He calls them a pilgrims, right? He could have just said, hey, to the, to the church or to the Christians, right? But he said to the pilgrims, because at this time, there's a specific, specific amount of people who left Rome, uh, to escape this persecution, yet they were still being persecuted where they were. And he's writing them to ensure them, guys, you don't have to be worried about the last days, about these end times that are happening right now. And, and understand that we're just pilgrims. We're just passing through. In fact, in Philippians, Paul says in chapter 3, verse 20, he says, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So, man, praise the Lord for that, right? We, we just got done moving into our new house and all the like, you know, the packing of packing up in your old house and then packing it all up and then moving it into the new house and then going up and down the basement and all the stairs. Oh, my body. I was like, Lord, I got a lowly body. I can't wait for that glorious body. Right. When you guys are my age, you'll understand. It's all right. It's all right. I didn't hear any amens out there. So it's all, it's all good. But, okay, second thing we learn about these pilgrims is, well, they were dispersed. Look at First Peter again, chapter 1, verse 1. To the pilgrims of the dispersion. 
Now notice this word dispersion. This word is dysphoria there in the Greek, right? So uh, simply means scattered, right? And, and in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, because of the persecution that they were going through, they were scattered. They were scattered, in fact, in the, in the area of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey today. And so you got uh, Pontus and Bithynia there in the northern area. Galatia is in central area. Cappadocia to the east and Asia to the west. So uh, very, very interesting. Uh, but the third thing we learn about these people who receive these letters are, well, they are elect. They're elect. Notice here in, in, uh, in verse 2 in chapter 1, uh, it says, to elect, uh, and then, actually, just stop there. <laughs> uh, elect, uh, eklektos, right, in the Greek. And it's mentioned 23 times in the New Testament. Literally, it means chosen. We would say um, election, chosen, predestination, right? Same thing. I, and I learned a few things about their election. And number one, uh, according to verse 2, notice verse 2, it says, well, the foreknowledge of God. It involves, number one, the foreknowledge of God. Did you see that in verse 2? So, uh, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So understand that God, he's sovereign. He could do whatever he wants to do. I was just talking to Mark in the back, right? We are talking about God. If, if God had a garden or if he had anything, any creation, or if I had a creation and I stomped on it and just messed it all up, it's okay because I'm the owner. I'm the creator, right? But if my neighbor comes and does that, then, hey, hey, right? Hey. But, but, so God created us, so he, he's sovereign. He could do whatever he wants with whomever he wants, right? Because he created us. He wants to kill somebody, he could kill us. How dare God kill them? Right? <laughs> he's God. He could do whatever he made you. He could take you out. He knew when he was going to take you out before he even made you, which is crazy. And we're like, that's not fair. He's God. Of course it's fair. But anyways, uh, so Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So notice, he chose us, not us choosing him. Romans eight twenty nine, for whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, in John chapter t- uh, 15, verse 16, it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. Right? And... and uh, very interesting, and I appointed you, he says. So yes, we have a free will, right? Yes, we're free moral agents, and so how does that work out? God is sovereign, and he planned everything, he knows everything, he has the foreknowledge of everything, but so how do we have free will at the same time? Yes, it, it works both ways. God knows, doesn't mean you need to know, you just need, you have your free will, he foreknew what you were going to do, and thus he already knew about it. Right? So what's, what's the matter of that? There's nothing wrong with that. Romans 10.13 says, For whoever, and there it is, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, in Mark 8.34, Jesus said, Whoever, that's whoever, right? Desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, Jesus says. 
In fact, in Joshua 24:15, you guys know this, right? Uh, Joshua says, "Choose for yourself this day whom you're going to serve." Right? You got a choice in the matter. Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, uh, basically at the end, he said, "Choose life." Choose life that both you and your descendants may live. So there was a choice back then, and there's still a choice now. And in fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1, you guys can read the chapter later on, but it says, hey, if you obey these commands, then the blessings. Boom, 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 boom. All the way to verse 15. And then it says, if you do not obey these commands, then what? It says, thus the curse, the curses, right? And then boom, 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 right? So there's an option. There's free will. There's, uh, you abide in him and he'll, he'll abide in you, right? You guys, John 15, very, very specific, very easy to read. So yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God has given mankind a free will. Um, I, I, I can't, you know, fully comprehend i should say uh, but i can apprehend it because the bible teaches it thus i'll teach it as well right because that's what the word says and and obviously there's plenty of scriptures we could be here all night if i did right john three sixteen. there's lots of just open god is he loves the whole world right so second thing i learned is it involves the sanctification of the spirit notice there in verse two of chapter one verse one uh elect or i'm sorry in verse two election according Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit. Now, some of these words are going to be over your head, and that's fine. I'm giving you guys some some uh, some Bible college training right here, right? You guys get it for free. You guys like that? Yes. Uh, but sanctification, there's the hagios, right? Or hagio, uh, hagios with the M at the end if you want. But... Um, it means to be set apart, to be holy. In fact, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Um, understand, sanctification is a work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. It, it's through his bloodshed upon the cross that you and I are sanctified or we are made holy we're made set apart because of what he did upon the cross and in hebrews chapter 10 look at verse 10 it says by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of jesus christ once for all amen in, in Hebrews thirteen twelve, it says, Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. And in fact, sanctification, just a little pause, it's not a process. Keep that in mind. Sanctification, you can't earn it. You can't take out your, your checkbook and be like, how much you want? Tell how much you want. I need some sanctification. I don't think so. It, it, you can't buy it, right? It, it, in fact... Uh, the moment that we are justified, right, the moment you were born again, John chapter 3, is the moment you were sanctified. You can read Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7 very, very clear about the sanctification uh, and how it works. So also understand uh, sanctification is an eternal uh, position, if you will, uh, that we have in Christ Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10, if you're still there, look at verse 14. Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering he has perfected, when? How long? Forever. Forever those who are being sanctified. 
Ain't that cool? I love that. Romans 8, 38, you guys know this one, right? For I am persuaded that neither death nor life. Interesting how he adds death in there. But nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to what? Separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 28, he said, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. He's got us, guys. This sanctification, it's forever. It's eternal. And it's in Christ Jesus. It's not in our own hands to lose, right? It's not in our own hands to sell. It's it's his, and he owns it, and where moth and rust can't get to it, right? And so, friends, in Christ, through Christ, because of Christ, right, we can be able to abide in him. John 15, again, you guys can read that one for homework on your own, that whole chapter. So positionally, we're taken care of. But currently, we fall short of the glory of God, don't we? Right? We could all raise our hand. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Right? My hand was first. But uh, just ask your spouse. They'll tell you, right? Nothing but the whole truth. Right? <laughs> they'll, they'll let you know. You're, you, I don't know. But it's because we're still in this temporary tense. We're still here in this body. And so this election involved the foreknowledge of God. It involves, secondly, the sanctification of the Spirit. And now, thirdly, it involves... The obedience to the faith. Obedience to the faith. Notice there in chapter, go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. It says in chapter 1 verse 2, uh, it says right here, uh, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood, and we talked about the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. So for obedience, right? So why did God elect you? There's a question. Why did he elect you? Well, it was for the sake of obedience, well, it says it right there in verse 2. So understand our obedience to God can only come by the grace of God, right? Romans chapter 1, verse 5, it, what does it say? Through him we have received grace and apostleship. For what? Why do we receive grace? For obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. So why can't we obey God in our own flesh? Well, because, well, we're not perfect. And his requirement is perfection. So we can't obey God at all. Right? Are you guys with me? We need God's help. We're not perfect. Amen, church? Amen? Amen. Okay, we're all... This is a hospital for sinners, right? We all admit it. That's the first step. There you go. Good job. Anyways, um, fourth and final thing, and we'll, we'll end with this, is we learn about people... Uh, who received this letter, is that they had faith. They had faith. And and Second Peter chapter 1, go back to Second Peter, look at chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, I'm glad I have another 30 minutes with you guys, because this is a whole long topic. So this is great. I'm happy. You guys happy? This is good. Okay, all right. Just joking, calm down. I saw some of you guys are all... No, it's not your glasses, right? Um, I'll give you guys three simple things about their faith, okay? Oh, I'll do this too. Listen up, guys, right? Why do they do that? 
Anyways, number one, it was obtained, right? It was obtained. Look, look at Second Peter one one. To those who have obtained. So obtained in the Greek, it's well, it speaks of obtaining by lots is what it speaks of. In other words, it speaks of receiving something from someone, uh, someone else that has nothing to do with you. Okay, so they received faith not because of what they had done or for who they were, but it was a gift of God that they received this gift. You guys know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, right? It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Because if it was of works, you would boast, right? How'd you get to heaven? Well, boast, 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 right? But it's not about you and your works, so you you can't boast when you get to heaven because it's all about Jesus. And so Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it even says at the end of the verse there that God has given to each man uh, a measure of faith. So each one of you has a measure of faith. We all have a measurement of faith, but we all have been given a gift of faith. And, and the question is, where are you putting your faith, right? Are you putting it in the world or are you putting it in Jesus Christ? And that's, you know, question your own heart. Um, second, notice it is precious. Notice there in verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith, right? There it is. And this word precious, by the way, this isn't a common word for a fisherman, right? As Peter, he's got the big voice, or so he does when I'm reading it, right? But he's, this is Peter. Peter doesn't say, men don't say precious, right? Girls say precious. They're all precious, right? We say, oh, that's cool. Hey, look at that, right? But so anyways, this is the only time Peter's ever even said this word, uh, precious. In fact, it's the only time in the whole New Testament that this word is actually given. Interesting. And it's a compound word. The iso means equal. And, and, uh, temeo or temeo uh, means to honor. And so equal honor, right? So it carries the idea of having equal honor. And when Peter says their faith is precious, he's saying that their honor, uh, they're honored equally uh, to his faith, Peter, as a Jew and as an apostle of Jesus Christ as well. Wow, is that amazing or what? I love this. That blesses me to know that there's no partiality in Christ Jesus. We're all saved by the blood of Christ. Isn't that cool? It's not about like, oh man, there's, you know, but but Mr. Apostle so-and-so or Pastor so-and-so or, you know, it's, we're just covered. We're all the same in Christ. There's no partiality. I think that's so cool. Anyways, third, it not only was obtained, was precious, but now the third thing I learned about their faith is that it recognizes Jesus as God. Did you guys catch that, that last part of verse 1, or verse, yeah, verse 1, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you look at this in the original Greek, right, language, you'll see that it, that the definite article proceeds the noun uh, for God right there. So in the Greek, when two nouns are put together in the conjunction with, with the word and, A-N-D, right? And the, and the first noun proceeded by the definite article the, T-H-E-E, um, then it connects the two uh, nouns equally, 
right? So it puts them as one. In other words, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So are connected by the word and, so A and D, right? And because the definite article the is before God and not Savior uh, or Jesus Christ, so it makes them equal. So you guys with me? In simple terms, Jesus Christ is God Almighty, right? Amen? Did that go? So their faith came to that conclusion that Jesus Christ is God Almighty. And I think that's so cool. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So pointing to Jesus Christ as being one with God, that he is God. And Jesus said in John 10.30, he said, I and my Father are one. In fact, Jesus told Philip in John 14, verse 9, uh, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am, there's the I am statement right there, in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak in my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am, and there's another one, in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Um, We could go on and on, guys. Thomas said uh, in John chapter 20, verse 28, he says, My Lord and my God to Jesus. And and Isaiah understood. You guys know Isaiah 9, 6, right? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That's speaking of the Messiah. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. What? Right? There it is. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So God's speaking to the Son. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, but to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is a scepter forever and ever, right? Of your kingdom. But notice that even God calls him God. So uh, Paul said in Romans 9, 5, he says at the end, Christ came who is over all the eternally blessed forever. He's the blessed God. Amen, he says. First um, John five twenty, and we know that that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true in His Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So, guys, make no mistake about it: Jesus Christ is God Almighty. In fact. Uh, your other homework is First John. Read the whole book, right? <laughs> Five chapters. But in chapter 2, verse 22, uh, it says, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son, has the Father also. So, and it goes on and on, and I could just read the whole book to you because I love it. But you're not even a Christian if you don't believe that Jesus is God Almighty come in the flesh. You either believe he's God, 100% God and 100% man, right? There's the deity, or or not. 
Right? So there it is. You don't believe it? You got a problem between you and God, not me. Right? (laughs) Sorry. It's between you and the Lord. So God is sovereign. Yes, we have a free will. And Jesus Christ is God Almighty come in the flesh, who died on the cross for our sins, rose again from the grave after three days, right? That we might not only be justified in his sight, but also sanctified. And how long are we sanctified? forever how cool is that isn't that neat i just i love the lord so good well let's let's stand up guys that's all i got i thought i had a whole bunch more but i fast forward version for you you guys got a whole bunch there um lord thank you so much for for your word and uh it's exciting lord i get i get i get charged up um just knowing our position in you is one that you hold lord and and i'm glad that it's not us holding our own salvation and uh, as if it's up to us, Lord. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. And if anyone's here that doesn't know you, I pray that they would call out to you, Lord, that you would uh, allow them, Father, to, to believe on you and to grant them the grace that they need, Lord, to repent of their sins and to, to just choose you in all of their life, to die to themselves, pick up their cross, and follow you. And uh, just love you, and thank you so much again for what you're doing here in our fellowship and uh, we pray that you would continue uh, just to move by your spirit. Be with us tonight as our, we go make our way back home. And, and uh, just thank you again, Father, for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.